0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to Sermon Cast, where we share just the message portion of our past week's service. We hope this gives you the opportunity to better digest the teaching, whether you're listening to it again or for the first time. And now, this week's message. Hey, good morning, Cheyenne Hills. Uh, my name is Carson Sweeney, one of the pastors here. I think we should give a round of applause for all of our Frontier Days guests, if we can give them a nice welcome. <clears throat> This is as cowboy as I get. So I tried. I tried to look festive. Um, I'm not a real cowboy, though. I've never ridden a horse. Uh, but I did play for the university, so I rode for the brand for five years, right? <laughs> I put steamboat on my helmet, wore it with pride. If you don't know who Steamboat is, we want to welcome all of our out-of-town guests, okay? (laughs) Thanks for being here, and thank you for joining us online. For those that are fellowshipping, uh, fellowshipping with us from afar, we're glad you're here and a part of our service. All right, let me ask you a question. When you're at church on Sunday and you listen to a sermon, what mindset do you have? Maybe some of us think that the pastor has mastered the subject. They're speaking as one who understands and maybe doesn't struggle. Um, Have you guys listened to TED Talks? You've watched TED Talks? It is is amazing content, but it's someone that's mastered something. It's condensed. It's brilliant, and and they're an example of it. Sermons are not like that, okay? A preacher is the go-between, you know, from this book, for all of us here this morning to teach it and preach it. You know, we observe the text, we explain it, and we challenge all of us, including myself, to apply it. Uh, But it's not a TED Talk. Um, So just because I'm preaching on it doesn't mean I master the text. And the point in case is this morning, this sermon, by this preacher, okay? Because I'm preaching on patience. (laughs) This is not a strength of mine. about a month ago, I, uh, I told my oldest daughter what I was preaching on. And she's like, hey, what are you preaching on? And I was like, patience. And she laughed in my face. <laughs> so I do struggle at home with my kids. Good to know that dad's a safe place to just laugh in his face. <laughs> But despite, despite my daughter's reaction, um, I'm not a complete failure at being patient. I have areas in my life where I actually do really well, and then I've got areas in my life that I struggle. Maybe that sounds familiar to us this morning, right? There might be a person or a place, you're like, I do it so well, and there's a person in place that just sets you off. Being a dad has challenged me personally in the most the most in the area of patience. And so, you know, I don't know about you guys, maybe it's kids or maybe kids are easy for you. You know, maybe work is really challenging or maybe work is really easy or maybe some of us, maybe with our spouse, it could be, oh, it's easy to be patient or that might be one of the the hardest things is our marriages. So why do we struggle so much with being being patient? It's like, how can we be good in one area and not another? I feel like that's so, such a human trait, right? To be okay, but still struggle, not good all the time. And so with my kids, well, I've just been thinking about this. Why do I struggle so much as a dad? And it's very funny that I get to preach on this in the summer, right, parents? Summer, no school, 14 hours of daylight, <laughs> What could go wrong? I got, I, got, I got four kids at various ages and stages, and we've got them for 11 weeks. And uh, so parents know they know what that is. That means 11 weeks of fighting and arguing. And yeah, yeah, I got to get this out of my system, so bear with me. Let's do some math. 14 hours <laughs> times seven days a week times 11 weeks, that is 1,078. Opportunities to be patient. Or fights and arguments, you know? <sighs> But I got four kids, so you usually need at least two kids to fight. I've got four, so let's just multiply that by two and say that Alex and I this summer will have 2,156 opportunities to be patient with our kiddos. Um, and so, I don't know. I, I really was thinking about this, as funny as that is. Or you're like, Garston. I don't want your life. That is a lot. Um, but maybe it's a quantity thing. You know, maybe for some of us, their lack of patience is that it just happens over and over and over, and it's just difficult. So whether it's kids or technology, maybe if we run into frustrations frequently, that sets off our anger. We're not patient in spaces that seem to nag us or wear us down. Now, don't look at anybody in the room right now. I don't want anybody getting hit, okay? Eyes up here. Don't look at someone and be like, you're the problem. Uh, Uh, so I stink at patience, um, but it's not just kids, guys, right? Projects, technology, sometimes like you followed the manual, you did it right, and it's still not fixed. It's still not working. And I don't know about you guys, but uh, that can produce some of the most colorful language. Just projects and cars and trying to fix stuff, and not a good colorful. Uh, even when I told Galen, he was like, all right, we're going to be in Galatians. We're going to do the fruit of the spirit. And I was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, uh, patience. And he's like, are you sure? (laughs) He's like, there's a weight about his question. Like Bo's going to bring something on my life or something. She's like, he's like, are you sure? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll do patience. Um, but it's kind of like when people tell you not to pray for patience, you know, God doesn't dump patience on you because you prayed about it. Usually it comes by trials where we have the opportunity to exercise patience, right? the chance to exercise patience. So let's focus on that word real quick, exercise. And I think we can get this if we think about other things, but I think it also relates to patience. So think about running or cycling, uh, sports where you exercise. I thought of like the most extreme example would be like bodybuilding. So I've got to build tons of muscle. I want to be extremely big. All right. Um, if you want to grow muscles, you don't pray for larger muscles. You exercise them, right? God doesn't just poof, Grant you large muscles. Have you guys seen Aladdin when the the genie's like phenomenal cosmic power and he's like massive, right? Like it doesn't work that way. Um, You have to break down the fibers in your muscles, right? And then God, he built our body to heal and add more fibers. So thus you get larger muscles because of the new fibers. So maybe instead of waiting on patience or, pra- or, or praying for patience, maybe we need some new patience fibers. You will need to exercise patience to break down your current capacity in order to build more patience. So take kids, for example. That's my biggest struggle. Um, I had a certain capacity for patience before we had kids. I even thought I was pretty patient before I had kids. And I was very naive, all right? we uh, Addie's birth was traumatic. We had Addie, and, and my patience grew. And then we had Caleb, and my capacity for patience with one kid was not enough. People have joked that, you know, when you have one kid, it's like double team on, on, you know, defense for football. You have two kids, you're man-to-man coverage, and when you have three kids, you're in running a zone, and you're just hoping for the best, right? You're, you're in zone defense, and so we had Camille, and now my patience for two was not enough, and then we had David, and repeat, you guys get the, the point, right? Exercise patience. It's not some miracle, mysterious change that just happened to you overnight. It's daily exercise in order to grow and build more. Uh, There's also a big trust component. Trust really stuck out to me with patience. When you decide to do a weight program or exercise program for the first time, you have to trust three things. First, you've got to trust your body, right? You're trusting that your body will respond and recover properly so that you can meet your goals. Number two, you're trusting the program, how it's written, the weight, the resistance, how long the program is. You're trusting that that program is not going to hurt you. You're going to build muscle, but not tear muscle. And third, you trust that it's not going to push you too fast or too hard. The timing and intensity is a really big deal. If a man were to ask me, how long would it take to bench 300 pounds? I would say, well, it depends. You know, if if you can bench 280 pounds, then you're maybe just a couple months away with the right training and diet that you could reach your goal. If somebody told me they bench 135 pounds, that could take years. That could take a long time. Muscles don't grow fast naturally. It takes years to build significant strength. So if it takes years to build muscle, what about our patience muscle, right? Could that take years? Do I need to be more patient with myself? That's kind of a flip on that, huh? It's like, oh, I need patience. Maybe some of us need to be more patient with ourselves on our journey to being patient. So I believe that as you read this book and as you maybe think about people in your life who are good examples of patience, I think the answer is yes. I think that a very patient person, that that's going to take years. Maybe just a normal patient person, however you want to grade that, that takes years. It takes a long time. It depends on how God wired you, how you grew up, the choices you're making. Some of us have had trauma in our life, and that affects our ability to be patient. So I think that just letting that sink in is like it takes time. Some of us might need to take a big breath this morning, and regarding patience, be more patient with yourself. Give yourself that grace to grow. I certainly didn't didn't happen for me overnight with kids. It was years and years and years. So patience takes time, but it also takes trust. If you remember nothing else for the sermon, remember trust. If if you're writing something down this morning, write down trust. To be a patient person, you have to trust. To be a patient Christian, you've got to trust God. And this might seem really obvious, but I think we, we can't rush, rush past trust. You've got to trust God to be patient. And so I was thinking about what, what are some examples that would prove that point. This year, we spent a good amount of time looking at Abraham and Moses in the Old Testament. So let's look at Abraham, but then also the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians, which is our focus for this series. So let's look at Abraham, and then let's look at Paul. Okay, first, so Abraham. Abraham was a patient man. If you remember his story, God gave him a wonderful experience and promised him a large nation would come from his family line. In Abraham's day, no greater success was available to a man than a large family. Today, we tend to look at money and wealth, how many things somebody has. You might think of like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, maybe JK Rowling, Bill Gates, or I thought of, I'm a football guy, so Lamar Jackson, he just signed one of the biggest contracts in the history of the NFL. But in Abraham's day, success was a large family with a large amount of land that could then provide for that large family. So God says to Abraham that uh, a nation is going to come from his line. Let's look at if you got your Bible, it'll be up on the screens or it's in the U version Bible app as well. We're going to go to Genesis 17 verse 6. <clears throat> and this is God speaking to Abraham. God says, "I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you." Wow, what a what a promise for Abraham. He must have been so excited. But how long did it take for that promise because, by the way, Abraham has no kids. So that's, that's a big, like, he has no kids. So he gets his promise. How long did it take from the promise until Abraham even had his first son? Just 25 years. 25 years. Almost three decades of waiting on the Lord. And he trusted God. And Hebrews says that it was counted to Abraham as faith. And it pleased God very much how much faith Abraham had. And it turned into also one of the most epic stories in the Bible. And so I would just say, guys, this morning for you, if you feel like you're going through an impossible time, trust God. Continue to be patient. It could turn into an amazing story, an amazing testimony of God's grace and goodness that you get to tell to your family or your grandkids someday. So how about Paul? Paul wrote the the letter to the Galatians. Was he an example of trusting God? And I would just ask, like, how well do you guys know Paul's story from the Bible? Um, I, I would put him in my top three for trusting God and being patient. He's not perfect by any means. I mean, it's easy for us as Christians to be like, Jesus, he's always our main example because he did everything perfectly. He was perfectly patient. But Paul's an amazing example for us to focus on this morning. And Paul was transformed by Jesus. Paul's conversion was blinding. Did anybody catch my Bible plan there? Huh? Blinding, huh? Blinding conversion. Sorry for my bad dad joke based on biblical history. Um, all right. So Paul, if you don't know his story, he is on the road to Damascus, the Damascus road, heading to Damascus. He is a devout Jewish man, and he believes that Christianity is heresy. It's false. And he is doing everything he can to arrest these new Christian leaders and shut down the Christian church. That man is who God is going to use. And so Jesus shows up on this ro- road and this blinding light, so blinding that it makes Paul go blind. And someone has to lead him by, by the hand into the city of Damascus. And he is blind for days. Uh, but God tells Ananias to go to Paul in Damascus. Ananias is a Christian. He obeys God. He finds Paul in this house and he heals him. And so Paul, right, I mean, right off the bat with this first experience with God, is trusting him while he's blind. The Bible says he didn't eat or drink for three days, but he waited on the Lord. God showed up uh, through Ananias, and by the power of the Spirit, he was healed. And God gives Paul the job of preaching the good news, this new message of salvation through Jesus Christ to non-Jews. Uh, next, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, verses 13 through 15. But Ananias answered, uh, Lord, God is speaking to him. He says, Ananias answers, Lord, I've heard from many about this man. sorry talking about Paul. How much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So what were non-Jews called in the Bible? Gentiles, right? So I was thinking about this. Why would bring this brand new message of salvation through Christ to the Gentiles? Why would that require a lot of trust? Well, think about the Jews. Um, the Hebrews, they knew God. His name is Yahweh. They knew him and they knew his law. Um, and they knew that they needed a Savior. Many at that time... They were expecting a savior to come in their lifetime. They were looking for it. They were ready for it. But how about the Gentiles? They don't know this God. They know of gods, but they don't know this God. They don't know his law. And and they believe in order to appease the lower G gods of their time, man has to be good, try hard, and sacrifice personal things in order to appease these gods. And we need to remember this because later, uh, the book that we're studying, written to the Galatian churches, this stuff is going to crop back up. Gentiles thought to appease God, the gods of their culture, man had to be good, try hard, and sacrifice personal things in order to make God God happy with them. So Paul, he's put in charge of reaching the Gentiles with the gospel. He has to teach them who God is. He has to teach them their law. And he has to teach them that God requires no sacrifices on their part to appease Yahweh. It is faith in Jesus Christ. And that's it. But Paul's starting from scratch with these people, but he's trusting God to bless it. And that's a lot of trust, I think, for that mission. And and God blesses Paul's missionary work. I mean, just check this out. I looked this up online. Um, Paul went on three huge missionary journeys to start churches. If you include his last trip to Rome, Paul, they think he walked over 10,000 miles. Isn't that crazy? Someone was asking me to do a a marathon this morning, and I'm like, I can't do a marathon. 10,000 miles, that blows it away. And so he walks those 10,000 miles to share the gospel, start churches. He meets thousands of people. Um, This article said he spent 1,731 denarii in his day towards uh, this missionary effort. He was on the road 281 days, and they think he established at least 14 churches. And in the end, Paul would lay down his life for Yahweh. When he goes to Rome to defend his faith, he's killed for it. So I, you know, we read that list, I'm like, Paul, he's an amazing example of his life being changed by Jesus and Jesus alone, and just that patience and that trust in God. He trusted God every day, and God blessed him uh, by bu- the building of these churches. Now, the churches that are in the book of Galatians, those are to the region of Galatia. So I don't know if you guys know where that is. I didn't, so I looked it up. In 2023, if you were to find Galatia on a map, you would be looking at north-central Turkey. So north-central Turkey, this is where Paul is taking those missionary journeys. That's where these 10,000 miles are traveling through as he's sharing this good news of faith in Christ and starting churches. So the setting... For Galatians, which this series is based on, uh, it's where we get the fruit of the Spirit. If you're wondering, the fruit of the Spirit, that's found in Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23. But today is just about patience. So for some, some of you might right now, you're like, Carson, where are you going with this? All right. Uh, we talked about Abraham's trusting God, and he was a patient man. Uh, we talked about Paul and that he was a patient man. But why is it important that we know the background of the Galatian churches? Because Paul's greatest act of patience, you haven't heard about yet. Okay. And if we don't cover the background, then we're not going to do justice, the this, this, Uh, moment where Paul exhibits so much patience. So hang on with me, but the background matters. So Paul's writing this letter to the church because they're drifting from the truth of the gospel that he preached to them, and they're headed towards heresy and pain. And the Bible makes it very clear that there are truth and there are lies, right? It's real black and white. Truth that is established and agreed upon by a group of people is called doctrine. And heresy is kind of a word for a a lie that would seep to come in and destroy godly doctrine. So when Paul came to the Galatian region, he preached a gospel of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. He established doctrine for the churches around that core uh, truth. Believe and confess that Jesus is Lord and you can be saved. But after Paul leaves the region to go meet more people and share that message and build more churches, um, people came into the Galatian church and they proclaimed heresy. They tell a different gospel. So let's read that. We're going to be in Galatians chapter one, verses six through nine. This is Paul talking to them. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you, and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, and we'll say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So you see that the the Galatian churches, they now know God. They know his name is Yahweh. They're learning the law of the Bible, what God says is right and wrong. And they, at their start, they believed and received Jesus Christ. But now there's Jewish followers that are telling the Galatians that they need to be circumcised in order to be right with God. Some of us are like, wow, that took a big turn. We're talking about the Bible, and now we're talking about something that happens to babies. What's going on here? Um, You got to remember the Old Testament and the law, uh, which is the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament. It was all about what, you know, right, wrong, and how to get right after you mess things up and sinned. They had the law. They had the sacrificial system to cover their sins. But here's the big one. How are you a part of Abraham's family? Remember Abraham? And it's all going to come together weirdly through circumcision, okay? So God gave a sign to Abraham. He didn't just give him a promise. He said, here is a sign to remember the promise, and it was circumcision. So Genesis 17, verse 10 says this. God's saying this to Abraham. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. Don't ask me why it's circumcision. All right. It's still a little weird to me. I don't get it. Ask Galen. He has a doctorate. Okay. I've been to the doctor and that's about it. So you go ask him. I don't know why. I don't know why God uh, chose this, but the sign the, of the promise to be in abraham's family which also means the sign of the promise of being in god's family it was circumcision every male jew was circumcised paul in his letter he explains in detail how he was the perfect jew even down to the timing of his circumcision i think it was like the eighth day on the eighth day they had to be circumcised so this circumcision is a big deal It is a physical representation for how you belong in God's family. Now, some of you are thinking, Carson, you've got to stop saying circumcision. But there's more comments, so just bear with me, okay? This isn't Bible, kids. Um, So they're Jews. And maybe even something that might have even been Christian Jews that were making their way into the Galatian church, saying that people had to be circumcised. So they're saying, in order to be in God's family, and number two, in order to be right with God, you have to be circumcised. So let's read Galatians 5, verses 2 through 12. Galatians 5. Uh, This is Paul speaking again. I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves, we eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. It's only faith working through love. He says, you are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. So Paul's heated. He is mad. He is as mad as he can get as far as these people that are bringing in this counter gospel. It's heresy of the highest order, guys. I mean, what you believe about being in God's family and being made right in his sight. There is nothing more important than those two things on the religious shelf of things. It's like, there's no higher shelf and there's no greater consequence. If you get that wrong, how to be in God's family and how to be made right before God, every religion differs on those two things. And Paul In this time, he's establishing a new church that's never been seen before. It's connected to Judaism, but it's a new religion that's now extended to the Gentiles. And he has been given this holy task to take them the gospel. It's an offer to be in God's family, but this offer isn't just for Jews. It's for everybody. But if you get either one of those two questions wrong, you could wind up in hell for eternity. And that's why it's so heavy and why Paul loves them so much he wants to get it right. It's paramount. And Paul has to write this letter to him. And I just would ask you guys, if you would this week, read the whole Book of Galatians. I would do it multiple times. Sometimes I'll even switch versions. Some versions are a little easier to read. Just read the whole book of Galatians. You'll see Paul's heart. He takes this position of a parent and like the Galatian church are his kids and he's being patient, but he's also being very stern on what is truth and his love for them. Now, parents here today, parents, if your kids were in a life or death situation and they were not living with you, they're, they're, they're off on their own. <laughs> How many of us would write a handwritten letter, drop it off at the UPS, trust that it's going to get where it needs to go, trust that our kid is going to open and read it, and trust that our kid's going to do what's in the letter, right? It's not on our top list, right? There's a lot of other things that we would do in writing a handwritten letter. It's probably not one of them. But that's what Paul did. That's where the, the book of Galatians come, came from. He wrote this letter. And, you know, travel was different back then. He walked 10,000 miles. He didn't drive it. There's no vehicles. There's no email. Paul can't call up his leader in the Galatian churches and have this conversation. So he writes this letter because they think that they can be in God's family through circumcision. And they think that they need to keep the law in order to be made right with God but Paul knows it's by faith that we're saved and we're made uh, made right with God through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We are transformed by Jesus, and if anybody knows that, it's Paul, right? Remember his blinding transformation. He knows Jesus is the change, and it's the same thing for us today. Jesus is the change, not circumcision, not doing everything right. He knows that it's the Holy Spirit living in us. That's the power to do what's right. The Holy Spirit is the power to do the things the law says is right. So he knows that we need the Spirit, and that only comes by what? Faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul does what little he can do, and he trusts God with all the rest. He writes his letter, he gives it to whoever is his UPS guy. And he just prays like crazy that the letter gets there, that it'll be read, that the Holy Spirit will convict hearts and convince them of what is truth and that they'll apply it to their lives and to how they're raising their families. Some of us today, when we get so bent out of shape over things that we have no control over, all of the what ifs that might happen that can't be solved, why did it happen to me? Scenarios. That will never happen. We get too far ahead of even the problem that we're in, or our kids are in, or our grandkids are in. What if all this stuff happens? I imagine that in Paul's conscious, like he was thinking about those things, right? Paul's a human just like us. I'm sure he had those thoughts, but Paul himself wrote um, in another book in the Bible to take every thought captive. It's not wrong to have a thought. But if we have a thought that's not godly, that dominates our thinking, that is wrong. So let's look at this, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. And I just pulled the last bit of this verse. Paul says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. So Paul does what little he can, and he leaves the rest up to God. He prays fervently, and I think some of us need to hear that this morning, right? Pray more, worry less. Pray more, scheme less. Pray more, heck, even plan less. Just trust God and pray. Paul does what little he can, and though his whole heart, as you read this book, his whole heart is in this letter, but he leaves the rest up to God. And I know that that was for me as I was preparing, and I hope that's for some of you or maybe those watching online, that we need that this morning, to trust God. Patient Christians, they trust God. 2,000 years later, this letter has made it to us. It made it to Cheyenne, Wyoming, a place that Paul didn't even know existed, right? No idea Cheyenne, Wyoming even existed. So maybe this concept of doing what little we can and leaving the rest up, up to God, maybe that's pretty powerful. It was for this letter that is still alive and perfect and in our possession today. So one of my thoughts just kind of, I don't know, kind of an emotional thought, but it's like maybe Paul's prayers are still behind that letter. Maybe his prayers are still effective even today as it reaches us, as a false gospel is constantly out there that we could try to follow. So back then, I'm sure Paul wondered a couple of things. Is it going to get there? Will the letter be received? Will the letter be shared in the church? And will it be applied in our lives? And so the same thing is here for us today, 2,000 years later. The letter got here. The letter is being read, but will it be applied? I don't know. That's up to you guys. That's up to what the spirit is saying inside of your heart and your spirit this morning. Let's read uh, Galatians chapter 3 uh, verses 23 through 29. Um, It just brings everything that we have talked to today right into focus. Paul says this, he says, Now before faith came, you were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, we're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. How cool is that? Bridges all the way back to Abraham, even more than 2,000 years, right? Thousands and thousands and thousands of years later, a promise that was given to a man that had to wait 25 years to have a son. And then Jesus comes and says, this opportunity to be in Abraham's family and God's family, it's available to anyone that would believe in Jesus. And now there's millions, maybe even billions of people that are all a part of God's family through faith in Jesus Christ. If God says it, He'll do it. Sometimes it takes a long time. And that's where we gotta be patient. We have to trust the God of these stories. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. His character is the same. What you're waiting for, the struggle you're going through, it may take a lot longer than you think. You may not even see it resolved in your lifetime, but just like Paul, we can do what little we can do, and we can leave the rest up to God. And I know I need this challenge. I gotta pray more got to pray more. Get into that space, whether it's a quiet space, go for a walk. It's beautiful in the summertime. Just pray. Take all the things that are burdening you, making you angry, maybe the things that are not making you a patient man or woman. Go pray. Get into that sacred space with just God and trust that He will work just like He did in the Galatian church. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for a chance to Communicate your words. I am not a patient man, and and Lord, I need help. Uh, I know that the Holy Spirit can change me. I know that Keith, what Keith said last week was so true. This fruit, it's not like some of us get patience and some don't. All of that fruit of the Spirit, your love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of that is for us. But it's only a Christian us. It's for Christians who have believed in Jesus and have the power of the Holy Spirit that we can believe and expect that the fruit will be in our life. We're not perfect. We're not like Jesus. And some of us, it's going to take years or decades until we see a lot of fruit. But we know that that fruit is available right now. If there's anyone watching online or here today that just feels like, gosh, I don't know that I am a Christian and I want a relationship with God. I want to be in his family and I want that fruit, I wanna be a patient woman, I wanna be a patient man, I wanna make a difference on this world like Paul did. But just pray, just ask God for forgiveness, confess your sins and believe in Jesus Christ, that God raised him from the dead. 100% God, 100% man. Lord, we love you, Uh, help us to be patient as we walk out of these doors today, we ask this in your name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us in this week's sermon cast podcast. Remember to subscribe to this channel so you don't miss any of our content like our regular Cheyenne Hills podcast where Pastor Galen Huck and the learned Nathan Winters discuss modern issues facing Christians today. Check out our church's website at CheyenneHills.org, download our app, and most importantly, be strong and very courageous. God bless you.